Hello again, welcome to the Going Upstairs podcast from Opening Up Cricket. This is now episode 63 and we've got another from the pre-season series to repeat for you here. Originally available live on a Sunday evening back in January and also on our YouTube channel. But of course, if you're listening to this, you're someone who accesses podcasts. So this episode with Tara Norris, Seven Vipers bowler, is looking at sport life balance, mindful cricket and looking out for teammates. Hope you enjoy it. First of all, we're on our what is now our fourth of the pre-season series. And this evening I have Tara Norris with me, who is with the Southern Vipers. So first of all, Tara, thank you for your time. Thank you for having me. And we're going to go into some things here which uh, start with certainly a little bit different to what has been discussed in some of these previous sessions. So we're looking at the theme of sport and life balance. And I know that some of the people who've been accessing these sessions are in a position where they're still in full-time education and pursuing their their cricket alongside that. So I'd be interested to hear from you about the challenges that involved and how you've managed to do that in recent times. Yeah, no. So, um, I mean, I think sport is brilliant. I think you're learning new skills, you're developing as a person, you're interacting with all these new kinds of people. Um, I think the issue or the problem with elite sport is that it's quite hard to switch off from that sport side. Um, And I guess the problem with this inability to switch off is it can lead to a lot of stress when you've just got that main focus um potentially anxiety as well because if you think about it all our energy is going into this one sport and we've got no other focuses um and it kind of I know when I was at uni as well it it became very saturated in this bubble and meaning that if something goes wrong you know it kind of amplifies or, or magnifies the issue um and actually when I did my dissertation there was a lot of research on the benefits of dual careers so whether you're a student or you're working full-time and your sport as well and how it, it helps us to switch off and I guess balance those two sides or if you've got other focuses three sides etc um and actually it leads to sort of a healthier and happier athlete um and as well actually a, a really good friend of mine kind of described it as if you picture yourself as a tree and all these roots are the things in your life you know sport family friends hobbies if one of those roots was to to die or to collapse, you know, would that tree still stand? Um, and that really stuck out for me because actually, you know, when I graduated from uni, I thought that was such a big part of my life. Um, you know, actually, what else did I have going on? And and me as a person, you know, without the cricket, what else did I have? So that was that really stuck with me. Um, yeah, with uni, I think, you know, it's hard. You've got sport, um, your education, your social life, which is such a massive thing. Um, and I mean, I'd love to tell you that I balanced it really well, but I didn't at all. Um, I think with those two things, something always gives. Um, and for me, it just led to severe tonsillitis <laughs> in the winter. Um, you know, almost a burnout kind of, kind of thing because I was trying to juggle all these things. Um, and eventually one of them just caught up with me. So I suppose my advice would be to choose or understand which is important to you whether it's your education or your training or your social um and really commit to those and 
you know, you won't see it as a sacrifice if it's important to you. So for me, it was knowing actually, you know, I can miss out on the social event because I know in the long run, it's not going to benefit me. And, you know, it's short term gain, but but long term loss. So, um, yeah, I think just be clear and understand, understand yourself and what your goals are and, you know, and see them as they're not a sacrifice, but actually, you know, you're trying to help yourself. Yeah, that's sound advice. In your particular situation, which with the increasing professional professionalization of the women's game, there has been these, of course, additional contracts um, awarded. This, of course, wouldn't have been guaranteed to, to anyone. So as you were coming towards finishing your time at uni, it must have been a challenge having your eye eyes on two different things potentially going down the route of of professional sport but then also thinking about what might happen if that wasn't going to be the option so at that very critical end of 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 your time studying leading into that was there anything that you utilized to to make yourself be able to to find some of that balance just even in how you approached it how you thought about it yeah, no, definitely. Um, yeah, it was certainly a very stressful time um, whilst writing a dissertation and I suppose planning my future, really. Um, I think the way I coped with it really was by having options. I knew if I had options, I was going to be OK. So I remember writing down, you know, best case scenario, worst case scenario, what I wanted. You know, obviously I wanted to get a contract, um, but if I didn't, you know, would I look to coach, would I look to work and get a full time job? Would I go away to Australia and try and pursue my cricket and and try and get a contract the following year. So for me, as long as I knew I had options, I knew I was going to be okay. But if I, you know, just sort of sat around waiting for something to happen, I knew I was going to be out of control pretty much. So if I could control those little things, it was going to be fine. Yeah, good good point. And keeping the options open, I think that's been a theme which has come across from a lot of players that I've spoken to over time about particularly moving towards the end of their career, but also as they're going into the career that can get caught up with thinking about just, just one, one option. And that being the only thing that's available, whether that be sport or whether it of course be another area there. So that's useful to look at some of those areas of where balance can be. And I appreciate your honesty about saying it's not, always been easy great to say this is the solution but um no definitely that's the beauty of dual careers I mean if you've got an education behind you you know hopefully you do get a a long-lasting sporting career but even still that will last you 10 years 15 if you're lucky um you know and and then you've got that to fall back on or you know if I didn't get a contract I knew I had a degree so you know it wasn't a big loss but I again I had options and I could pursue um careers within my degree so yeah definitely if you've got those other focuses and not just that one you know I've, I've got to make it or that's it um it just definitely takes the pressure off for sure yeah now talking of taking the the pressure off a topic that we have discussed before over these last um last I suppose two or three years since um the first time I went down to Loughborough and spoke to the guys is the approaches to to cricket and then life that can be cultivated and mindfulness or an approach of being more mindful with your sport. Just tell me a little bit about how that's influenced you and how that has helped. Yeah. So I probably, yeah, probably when I I first met you a few years ago at at uni, um, introduced a sort of idea into mindfulness. Um, 
I think when people hear that, they think it's kind of, I don't know, hippie-like or a little bit of a holistic approach. Um, I actually did quite a bit of research into it. And um, yeah, when, when I spoke to you and you were talking about the benefits of mindfulness and, you know, just meditating for 21 days in a row and how that can increase your your mood and your happiness by, you know, a ridiculous percentage. Um, and I remember, I think, watching the Edge documentary, Jonathan Trott described concentration as the absence of relevant thoughts, um, which again, really stuck with me. And I think, you know, throughout the day, human beings have thousands and millions of thought processes. I think over half of them are probably negative. Um, I just thought, wow, imagine playing cricket without you know, those irrelevant thoughts and those neg- that negativity um, and not just in sport, but just in life as well. So, yeah, I, I did some research and looked into how to start and I used apps like Headspace, um, Smiling Mind, which is free. Um, and yeah, went through these guided meditations and then tried to do it without the guided meditations. And yeah, probably on and off, I've been doing it most days for 20 minutes a day. Um, and yeah, the benefits are, are amazing. I I feel like I've got more time in the day. Um, I feel like I'm a bit more focused and I'm still probably at the process where I'm trying to transfer that into my cricket, um, which is quite hard actually. And trying to to use the benefits that I, I know they're, they're there, but to use it into cricket as well. Yeah. And the theory of it seems clear that there'll be direct transfer from your everyday life into a sport but of course it takes some some practice with that to be able to to do it what do you think with those next steps you you'd almost like to see as an outcome from embedding some mindfulness within your training and gameplay um definitely some focus um especially in the field I'm terrible at wandering in the field and and losing concentration basically so definitely some focus in that and um I think just coping with pressure as well the amount of times you know imagine going out to bat and not thinking you know don't get out or I've got to score runs or I've got to take wickets or you know I need to do well or I'll get dropped and actually just going in and having a clear mind and actually being able to make those under pressure decisions and backing yourself and you know feeling calm under pressure which is definitely something that I've struggled with in the past um and yeah I've definitely got overwhelmed in games and just become you know overwhelmed with all these thoughts and and not been able to make clear decisions so hopefully yeah if I can translate that then I think you know I think anyone is capable of you know performing up to their potential yeah and it is like uh we've said all these all these years that it's something to be to be practiced when we say say it's the practice of mindfulness or or meditation and people can be put off that initial bit because they might not want to commit to something which can take a long time to really really be embedded but I think your approach there of saying it's made some impacts in one area of your life and then you 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 like that and want to take it on a bit further is something which I think people listening could think yeah all right it doesn't have to be overnight that I'm suddenly going to be a completely uh, different person or it's not so much about that but have a different approach to it so yeah, that element of being able to to tick it along with it. Um, what what things work for you now in within a game to help you stay focused and calm? Because you said there that in the past that could be something which affected you, but 
given the successes that you've been having, has something been implemented which has helped? Yeah, definitely. I think, um, first of all, just breathing practice. You know, every time, you know, all of us, when we feel panicked or overwhelmed or stressed, our heart rate increases, our breathing increases, um, and our breathing speeds up as well. So if you can control your breath and, you know, count in for four, breathe out for five, then immediately your heart rate slows down and your breath um, gets a lot slower as well. And actually you can think clearly. Um, and also just like trigger words. Um, some people call them like mantras, but a trigger word. Um, something that I've kind of used before I bowl, just before I set off. Um, and three things, technical or confidence boosting that kind of get me back and switch me back to the moment, which definitely help. Um, so so once I've you know set my field and I know the ball I'm going to bowl, I can just trigger to those thoughts and then everything else will take care of the rest. Okay, I like it. Now our third topic um, is on the side of our team sport and looking out for those around us. And this can be really from the two perspectives on the field when we might enter a period where there's a, a lull or the team is on the wrong end of uh, of a strong performance from the other team, but also away from it, whether that be dressing room, training or socially. What are your your key themes here? Because I know this is something that that is important to you in terms of the, the environment that you're in and how you can support those around you and, and allow them to support you. Thanks, sorry. Am I back on? Yeah, sorry, I had to slip my there. <laughs> um, yeah, and I think well, for me, the main aspect of of cricket and the the benefit for me is the social aspect. You know, I love playing a team sport, um, and I've made friends for life through playing through playing cricket in this team sport. So, yeah, being a part of you know a, a comfortable environment, a safe environment where I can enjoy myself and play a sport I love is is crucial for me. Um, you know, I've, I've been involved in teams where I felt safe. I felt comfortable. I felt like I can thrive in this team. And I've also unfortunately been in teams where, you know, I felt isolated, um, a, a massive fear of failure. And I suppose didn't have anyone to turn to when, you know, there were issues. And don't get me wrong, when you're winning at back-to-back games, it's it's hard to have issues um, because everyone's just in a constant high. But I think the teams who go through those, you know, multiple losses and consecutive losses, um, usually tend to come out stronger because you have to, I suppose, deal with those issues, whether it's on or off the field. Um, and yeah, especially now with the pandemic, I suppose, you know, even though we're not playing cricket, actually kind of a, you know, have you checked in with so-and-so recently or, you know, have you spoken to so-and-so? And just because it's not the season, it doesn't mean you can't check in with those teammates because, you know, now at a crucial time, a lot of people are isolated. So yeah, I suppose looking at your teammates on the pitch um, and off the pitch as well. Mm. Yeah, it's important, of course, at the moment, given what's happening. And one of the keys to positive mental health is that connection that we get through team sport. But that has been undermined in a lot of ways by what's happening. We we do still have routes to be able to, to keep in touch with people. So what's your reflection over this last, gosh, almost a year from first lockdown to then when you had your cricket in the summer and had some great successes with that and then going back into the lockdown 
and having a bit of training, it must have been quite a journey and a bit of a roller coaster. Yeah, no, definitely. And, you know, I I think it'd be hard to find someone who hasn't experienced, you know, any loneliness or isolation or, you know, anxiety over the last 12 months. Um, because, you know, I certainly have an, I think, a combination of, you know, leaving uni, being with a lot of, a, a lot of people, a lot of my really good mates, to moving back home, no cricket cricket teammates no cricket and it's it's just fluctuated um so yeah it's definitely there's definitely been highs and lows um now we're, we're fortunate enough to train so that's that's been amazing but yeah no definitely I think a lot of people will be going through you know a lot of similar stuff and, and a lot of worst case scenarios as well um I suppose the way I've coped with that is you know if I'm not seeing people just making sure I'm making a really conscious effort to connect with people who I know are isolated um and who might be struggling or not struggling um, I don't know for myself as well to keep my mental health well. You know, I need to chat to teammates. Um, I need to check on them and and vice versa. Mm. So that's definitely been a massive thing for me, especially in this this third lockdown. Yeah, and time is running a, a, away with with us because I couldn't remember whether it, how long it had been. You know, is it a year? Does it feel like longer? Is it is it less? It just seems to be all that we can can think of. Um, I'm going to ask a question which is. Uh, I connected to what we've been been speaking about but what I'll say to others is if you do have a question pop it in either the chat or the Q&A um, as I'm asking this question then uh, we'll, we'll go to them if we if we have any one of the things Tara that is often looked at from both a performance perspective but has its utility for for well-being is goal setting and funnily enough I was chatting to someone this morning about this and the the pros and the cons of what kind of goals we set and how we're we're motivated by that so for yourself at the start of a of a career what kind of approach do you have to that how do you make use of of goals that you're setting are they are they big are they more process driven how do you go about that um I've definitely got some big sort of long-term career goals for sure. Um, but then along that, I've kind of got almost like little stepping stones of how I'm going to get there, uh, um, which are all little goals, which will hopefully lead to the end goal. Um, definitely make sure they're, I think a, a combination of short-term, medium, long-term goals are great. Um, especially when I suppose those short-term goals can be quite boring and you don't feel like you're getting anywhere. It's, it's nice to, I suppose, remember the long-term goal and why you're doing this and I think if you've got the the how-tos and the whys that will lead to the the end goal so yeah I'm I set goals every winter um in October time I set goals in the January time for the summer so for me that's kind of the why I'm doing it and so I can keep checking in because you know at times training can be dull and especially when the weather's like this you know you don't want to get up early in the morning and and go running outside but if you're conscious of what the long-term goal is or you know I want to take x amount of wickets this season I want to score x amount of runs um I suppose that sort of is your purpose and you know the why I'm doing this um yeah. for sure yeah, I think the, the why is something that is o- overlooked so really glad that you mentioned that because sometimes goals can be so abstract like people are saying they want to win this or they want to get this many of something by a particular point and that that can be motivating but the thing that underpins it has surely got to be well why would that make you you feel good and 
there's a quote from a fairly unlikely source, uh, film Cool Runnings, where uh, the coach says to one of the, the athletes, if you weren't enough without a gold medal, then you're not going to be enough with one. And that really stuck with me. And I thought, yeah, a lot of things that we maybe we strive for, what, what is the purpose of that? So it's great to hear that purpose is like a big part of, of that. Um, right, I've got a question which was sent to me beforehand. Um, what, I've got to paraphrase it because it's a bit of a jumble, I won't mind me saying. Um, what, what do you feel, what, do you, what have you picked up most from the experience of playing against the seasoned um, performers that you that you come across, the people who've played a great deal of international cricket, or those who've come over for a summer from 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 other countries, what has struck you the most about their interactions when playing against them or with them? Yeah, great question. Um, I think first of all, their commitment and hard work. Um, stands out massively they're normally the first and last person at the ground um yeah watching them train and how hard they train is you know I'm just in awe of these these players um that's probably the first thing and I suppose um how humble they are as well um especially when I've been involved in the KSL and I suppose been a bit of a nobody player especially when I've you know if I've not been selecting the team and kind of a 13th 14th man um I suppose how they go about their business and how they, you know, treat players as equals. And one thing that really stuck with me was, you know, these players, you know, giving me tips and advice and happily will throw at me or bowl at me. Um, and I think that sort of humble character has really stuck with me. And it doesn't matter where they are, you know, their their prep is always the same. So they, they're ready regardless, whether it's, you know, a club game, an international game, a KSL game, their prep has always been the same and, and their character has always been very humble. Mm, superb uh linked to that is there something in particular that you've observed either an individual or or a group that they do which you which you can take that is more about the mental preparation and the routines or anything that stands out as being particularly effective or unusual for that matter um we once had a player at Loughborough and she every game she wrote down three things in her notebook um and they were quite personal things to her and she ripped it out and she put it in her pocket and she got to bat and she had these three notes in her pocket um and it was they were quite basic I suppose sort of and not tips but almost like mantras if you will um but for her I just thought for such a you know a talented player um, it was I don't know it's quite nice to see that even they have their own insecurities and their own fears and, and nerves and things so for something which was you know really simple and actually I never would have thought of it her point of view was well look if I've got these three points in my pocket when I go out to bat then you know I'm, I'm going to be okay I, I've got these three things and if you know I get you know if, if the scoreboard ticks along or if I get lose control kind of thing I, I can go back to these three points um, and, and I just thought it was brilliant and actually a really simple way of I suppose, like focusing back to to the key areas. Mm. Yeah, nice that. You mentioned within that the idea of yeah people's say frailties or or vulnerabilities, and what we can get caught up with as a society is this quite lazy thing of saying 
men don't really speak about how they feel, whereas women are great at it and, and, and so on, which isn't necessarily helpful in my view because everyone's, everyone's different. What, what, would, what would you say is the situation in the, the women's game about how, how much of an option it is for someone to express their vulnerabilities and, and what mechanisms are available for someone to get some support if they are struggling with their, their mood or their health in that way? Yeah, no, um, I suppose I've, I've always been quite lucky, especially when I was at uni, the teams I was involved with, I was playing with, you know, my best friends who, you know, were friends for life, if not just teammates. So, you know, whenever I, I did have issues or concerns, I would turn to my, you know, my closest friends, which I was really lucky to have there. Um, I suppose if you don't have those people there, the next step would be to to find, you know, if you're, I got on really well with my bowling coaches who I have that strong rapport with. So for me, that would probably be my next point of contact or potentially a head coach or someone who you feel, you know, you, you, you feel safe with and, and comfortable with. Um, and I suppose the next step is there is for them to get involved and to find someone for you to speak to or get in touch with um, and find a solution for you. But probably the hardest thing is actually just to tell one person. Um, and I guess once you've done that, the weight is taken off and almost um, the work can be done for you. So, yeah, my biggest advice would be just to just tell at least one person who you can trust um, and I suppose sort of leave the baggage with them and, and hopefully they can help you out. Mm. And it sounds like that that's something which has been uh, has been an option. It's something which in those the teams that you've mentioned has been an openness that's been fostered by the fact that people are are close with each other. So I think that's always a, a lesson for people to think about how they can make people know that it's 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 a, an option for them to speak about those those kind of things. And um, finally. Down in your neck of the woods, there's a recent initiative which is fantastic that I think people would really benefit from hearing about with the county club setting up their own um, mental health and, and wellbeing hub. And I saw that the uh, team in the last few days, you've made a, a, a contribution to that. Just tell us a little bit about what's happening there and, and how that's going to benefit the community that it serves. Yeah, so Sussex have funded this fantastic uh, campaign um, called the Sussex Mental Health Hub, where there is an online website where you can type in your, you know, your local postcode and whatever symptoms you're feeling. Whether I've actually been there to check it out. There's, you know, you can type in um, anxiety, depression, isolation, you know, all all the above, and you type in your postcode, and it's got specified GP specialists um, in mental health. You can access. Um, and I think I typed, you know, there was one near me for over 50s, males over 50s who are isolated. And there's this like woodwork shop that you can attend um, in my local town, which I thought was brilliant. Um, and if, you know, we can spread more of, I suppose, that awareness and support across the county boards, um, that would just be great. But yeah, um, I think I, I was in, I did an interview with Sussex about that and, and about female pressures in sport. Um, and, and mental health and, and sport as well. Yeah, that's brilliant. And I think the more that these things pop up, particularly on a local basis, where, like you say, there's something particular for your community that you can access there, is is definitely the way forward. And I think everything is moving in a in a good 
a good direction to that end. So that's terrific. We're just about out of time now. So I will say thanks very much for joining me and we'll look forward to working again, working together again in the not too distant future. But for now, cheers for your time, Tara. And have a good Well, thank you. Thank you.